Welcome to BA Chats. We're so super happy that you guys are listening. We're just happy today to have guests and I'm just honored and and super excited to share with you people the Backlands. Steve <laughs> and Wendy Backlands. Oh, I should introduce myself. I'm Rachel Kuntz, the host of BA Chats. What we're doing here is we want to connect you with all the beautiful speakers and all of our staff. They're just special, wonderful people at Bethel. They have been, they're just excellent people. And we want to intro them to you. And then also, so many, we're just rich. We live in a rich group of people. I feel like it's an abnormally rich group of people. So we wanted to share our rich people with everybody. So, Steve and Wendy Backlund, bam, back to you guys. (laughs) Yay, we're glad to be here, Rachel. Welcome to the chats, and welcome just to Atlanta General. We're super happy to have you guys. Thank you, thank you. So give us the scoop on the Backlunds. We're going to pretend, and I know you are well known and lots of people know you, but let's pretend for a second that people don't know where you're from and what it is that you do. Steve, can we start with you and just kind of give us all things Backland? All right, here's a quick bio of us. We both grew up on the north coast of California near Eureka, Redwood Tree Country. We did not, we met each other. I was 18, Wendy was 17. We met in high school. We were not Christians. We did not know the Lord. Graduated high school, became hippies, were seeking for truth, seeking for meaning for life, met Jesus finally, and we found out there's no high like the most high. We found that out. He's Are you the... talking about the Jesus movement? You mm-hmm. guys got born again? Yes. Oh, yes. The tail end of the Jesus movement. In California? In California. We could spend two hours here. I have so many questions. I won't ask them. But that was so good. We get married a couple years later. Uh, I'm on staff at an Assembly of God church in Northern California for you were. 13. I was on staff <laughs> for 13 years. Then in 1991, we went to the desert in Nevada, pastored for 10 years. Then in 2001, went back to California, pastored for seven more years in a place called Weaverville, California. Some of the people who are listening know Bill Johnson, senior leader of Bethel Church, Reading. That's where he, uh, so much of what's happening in Reading, Weaverville was a laboratory of that. And we... Uh, <laughs> That's a good word. <laughs> we um, kind of got grafted into the Bethel Reading family at that point. Point came. Oh, I, I gotta stop you. How'd you get to Weaverville? Well, that's where our relationship with Bill Johnson. We invited Bill Johnson to come and speak at our church in Nevada in the 90s. So we built relationship there, basically uh, committed ourselves to what Bill was doing. And uh, and then he asked us if we, because Danny Silk, some of your listeners have heard of Danny Silk, who who, um, he pastored in Weaverville after Bill, and they wanted to bring him to Reading. And so they asked Wendy and I if we would go to Weaverville. You guys ended up being the pastors at Weaverville? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm saying pretend people don't know. I don't know what yeah. this is. This is yeah. great. What a story. For seven years. And then we came to Bethel in 2008 and been on staff there with the main assignment to travel, travel about half the year. And we have our own ministry called Igniting Hope Ministries and our mandate is to ignite hope. That's our assignment. Yeah. Man, you got that down. You literally gave it in a nutshell. Nobody could ever actually do that. <laughs> Great nutshell. Wendy, you guys met at 17 and 18, not mm-hmm. born again. When That's did right. you get born again? When you... Uh, well, we got born again, I think because the in the Jesus movement, there was almost something literally in the air drawing people to Christ. 
And we just started getting hungry to know more about Jesus. Uh, we were reading encyclopedias about Jesus and the disciples. Because in those days, you didn't have Google, of course. <laughs> so <laughs> You guys read encyclopedias about Jesus? Yes. And the apostles. And the apostles. You were kidding, which probably was pretty accurate in the, what is the 70s, 80s? Yeah, 70s. Right. It might have been accurate, right? Wasn't yeah. it? Well, it's, it was inspiring. Yeah, yeah it was. Whoa. And um, then somebody from high school invited us to a Christian concert. And and actually, the biggest thing that got us saved that was the final <laughs> hammer in it was there was a, a guy in Steve's dorm at college who, when they would get high together, he would talk about Jesus. He was a backslidden, pot-smoking Christian. And he gave Steve a book called Love is Now. And Steve gave it to me because I was more of a reader in those days than he was. And... I would follow him around saying, did you know this? Did you know this about God? And it just, it was all about the love of God and how he accepts us just the way we are and that we don't have to wait and be perfect before we present ourselves to him. Love is now, who's the author? Uh, Neil Gilquist, Love is Now. Yes. Great book. Okay. So between that and then after reading that, we went to a Christian concert and they asked people who wanted to accept Jesus, and we both did the same night. So who was the concert? Who, who was the author? Or the uh, it could have been uh, Love Song, Chuck Gerard. Um, second chapter of Acts. Second chapter, Barry McGuire, those yeah. kind of people. Wow. I, I can't remember who exactly it was that night. Whoa. So yes. born again, Jesus movement, California, straight into the ministry? Uh, well, it, it happened pretty fast. Our school, our church had a ministry training school probably a year after I was saved. I started going to that, not knowing why. And then a door, a door opened into our church. We had a Christian school, became, you know, kind of assisted in the Christian school and worked on the side. And then eventually it was full-time ministry pretty, pretty fast. Did you guys ever listen to any lamb? Do you know lamb? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, uh, they, the Jewish, oh. you know, so that was so are, anointed. Oh, well, no, I still listen. They are as anointed. My really? people are all Baptist, both sides, all preachers and teachers from a million. We were all born Baptist <laughs> eight generations ago. <laughs> Doolins and the Walmarts were Baptist. Wow. But my mom got spirit filled during the Jesus movement and just blew the whole thing up. Yeah. And we listen to some lamb now, so we still sing in Hebrew. I'll hear it every once in a while on somebody's prayer language. I'll be like, oh, that was in this particular project. And, Anointed music. Lamb. Oh, marvelous, marvelous. Well, exciting. So great background. And now tell me a little bit about your ministry and give us the website again. Okay. I would love to hear... <clears throat> Um, fill in the blank. I was born for fill in this blank. Yeah. God made me to fill in this blank. Well, when we moved to the desert in 1991 in Nevada, God loves to send people to deserts to teach them how to repent. And, <laughs> and we were in the high desert. Yes. And, and one of the best definitions of repentance is to change the way you think. Mm. So we were out there. We had been learned. We had been faithful. And the Lord says, I'm going to teach you how to walk in hope and faith. And he really went after what we believed. I was reading a book by Francis Frangipan called The Three Battlegrounds. And, and in the book, he's, he basically says this, every area of your life that doesn't glisten with hope means you're believing a lie. And that area is a stronghold of the devil in your life. Oh, and oh, we're, 
I'm going to stop there. talk around that just for a second? That's beautiful. And it's Francis Frangipan that asked yeah. me to because I totally tell people it's your quote. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he basically said it. I've tweaked it just slightly, but uh, it's really what, what he said. You know, every area of your life doesn't glisten with hope means you're believing a lie, and that area is a stronghold of the devil in your life. That changed our life. And because mm-hmm. we began to... Uh, understand that the kingdom of God is not moved forward by good conduct. It's moved forward by good, by good beliefs. You people, I just can stop you at every sentence. That's so beautiful. You're full. That's beautiful revelation. Could you say that one more time? The kingdom of God is not moved forward by good conduct. It's moved forward by good beliefs. Now, character and integrity are important. Are, are important, but. The, the old covenant was moved forward by good behavior. The new covenant is moved forward by good beliefs. We're called believers, so it should tip us off on what we're actually supposed to be doing. Whoa. Believing. That's so this is... Belief comes first, actions come yes. first. Yes. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the, the same way we get into the kingdom and the same way we advance, and it's the way we're to advance. We're to hear good news and believe it. That's how we get into the kingdom, and that's how we're supposed to advance in the kingdom. Big fatty question, but how do you think we we forget that? Because we all know how we came into the kingdom. We just believed. We had nothing to offer. Jesus had everything. And somehow in the mix, all of us find our, you know, at some place we're like, I've got to do, I've got to do, and here we are with our, what happens? It's a fat question. I know it's huge. Well, we move into... um, Legalism and laws, what the Galatians did. Galatians 3, Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, having begun in the spirit, can be now made perfect in the flesh. They started in faith. They started as, as, as belief-focused Christians, but then they moved into conduct-focused Christians. And Paul says, you're foolish. You're actually, if you read Galatians, you get cut off from grace by being more focused on behaviors than beliefs. That's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You know what I like about you guys? I like a lot about you guys. But one of the things I like about you guys is your, your message is hope. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about that. Your message is definitely joy. Like in my mind, that's how I've, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. the backlands are so helpful. I, you, you guys and Joel Osteen. I'm like, hope and joy. The backlands and Joel Osteen. <laughs> But what I think people don't always recognize is that, and you tell me if this is your perspective or what I found, that's rooted in in clean truth. Like hope and joy come from like, oh, this is the truth. Have you found that to be the case? Yeah. When God first started talking to us about hope and joy, my first reaction was, oh, man, now I have to be happy too. You know? (laughs) Because I, I was so into performance in acting like a Christian. And so I thought he was just requiring me now to pretend to be happy too. And he said, he said, no, I don't want you to work up an emotion of hope and joy. I want you to understand that hope and joy are a result or a fruit of good beliefs. If you want hope, if you want joy, you have to believe something different than you currently believe. Wendy, I'd love to hear you talk about this, just even this weekend. Um, talk a little bit more, like, round that out. That is so helpful. That takes the pressure off. Yes. That keeps it from being outside in to, no, 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 no. I can sort it out inside, and then just accidentally, here I go. Yeah, because we're not supposed to be acting like a Christian. That's called acting. <laughs> 
It all comes from the inside actually believing something. And for me, the the most transformational understanding came when I realized that you don't believe everything you think you believe. That's helpful. You know, he actually challenged me and he said, Wendy, do you believe I'm going to meet all your needs? And I'm like, oh, yes. And I quoted scripture at him, you know, because there's scripture to say that he's going to meet my needs. And he just came back with, then why are you worried? And I'm like, well, do my emotions have to believe it too? And this is what he told me. He said, you'll know you believe something when your emotions line up with it. That's so helpful. And so now, not for condemnation's sake, but now we know whether we believe something or not by the emotion that is produced. And so it's not about, I'm going I'm to be hopeful. It's about, okay, what do I need to believe to have hope? And then I go through a process, whether it's through declaration or meditation or imagining what that looks like, and it begins to build something on the inside until I'm in inner unity with that truth. And then I don't have to pretend like I have faith. It's just there. Wow, so a real, actual substance that actually empowers you to behave, but yes. not just behaving. No, no. Because you can't really do what you don't believe you are. And so it all comes down to the fact of, this is why scripture in Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, I kept trying to be transformed by trying harder. If I can change my actions, I will become something. And for 15 years, it didn't work. But when I started focusing on what I believed, I began to see my actions shift. And that was so freeing to no longer have to act to pretend like I was someone who was, you know, faithful and full of hope and joy. It just would come because of my belief systems. That's beautiful. So a million ways to say it, but burden off of us, burden on the Lord that he actually teaches Mm -hmm. us and the things that he's teaching us are real and true and they just produce in us and we just Mm -hmm. find ourselves in a lifestyle. Yeah. So that's good living. Yeah. (laughs) It's called the fruit of the spirit. That's right. The fruit of the spirit. And and the verse that really... um, probably our, my life verse, Romans 15, 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that verse basically, if you boil it down, it says, now may the God of hope fill you in believing. So the moment I believe truth is the moment I get filled by the God of hope. So increased hope is the evidence that the renewing of the mind is working. Mm. Increased hope is the evidence that I'm moving from mental assent to actually believing a truth. And so we were learning in the desert that our hope level was the indicator whether we were believing lies or truth. If we had a lot of hope, believing a lot of truth, didn't have much hope, believing a lot of lies. And again, like Wendy said, there's no condemnation if we're believing a lot of lies because everybody's believing lies. Mm-hmm. Wendy and I are still believing some lies in areas. We just don't believe as many as we used to. <laughs> and we've got mo- we've got yes. momentum. Yeah. Li- but but Which is invaluable. Yeah, and at least but before we didn't know what our problem is. If we don't know what our problem is, we have a real problem. I used to think the devil was my problem. People were my problem. My past was my problem. I thought a preordained plan of God that put limits on me was my problem. 
I love it that you mm-hmm. guys went through all this. You're answering these questions, so this is helpful. Mm-hmm. The Lord says, none of those are your real problem. The real problem is what you believe. Because you've been renewing your mind with your past and your feelings rather than what I'm saying. Uh, that's so helpful. And until you, because you, at some point in your life, you have to renew your mind with something higher than what you're feeling and experiencing. It's called faith. And there, there's no convenient time to do that. And so it's going to be hope-filled thoughts that are going to... Um, it's, it's the key of, of believing for something better than what we're experiencing that's going to help us to experience it. So again, we're, we're talking to people all over the globe. You just can hardly tell with the podcast. It's a funny thing. But speak directly to the person right now that is like, I'm trying so hard, banging the head against the wall. And again, I think it's fair to say all of us to some degree have worked through this. Mm-hmm. But speak to that person that's like, <laughs> I love God, but I look like the devil. And I don't understand <laughs> I think one of the things that helped me is the, the first 15 years of our Christian life, we were kind of stuck in Romans 12.1 that talks about, you know, presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, you know, which is your reasonable service. And so we thought the whole Christian life was about sacrifice, which we still believe in sacrifice. We just discovered that sacrifice doesn't transform you. That's helpful. So what... But what we discovered is that it was actually harder to sacrifice our beliefs than our actions because God began asking us to sacrifice things like, I I thought I was inadequate, I thought I was shy, and one day he said, Wendy, are you willing to sacrifice your belief that you're shy? And I'm like, but I've got experiential proof that I'm shy. It's like you're asking for my identity. Yeah. You might be. Yeah. (laughs) Because we've been crucified with Christ. And he said, it's illegal to get your identity from your past. You have to start getting your identity from your future, from who you were created to be, not what you've done. That is helpful. And according to scripture, we are powerful. We're overcomers. We have the mind of Christ. You know, there's, we have to start believing that more strongly than we believe in our past experience. And it was a sacrifice, but it, that vision of sacrificing my belief I'm shy or I'm inadequate actually helped me to lay it to rest and embrace who God said I was. And, I mean, we are so transformed from this whole process of letting go of what felt so true, had experience in, and grabbing hold of what God said was true, even though we had no proof of it yet. We just kept declaring, this is who God said we are. This is who God says, what God says we can do. And things began to shift. We weren't trying to do them to become them. We were first spending time believing we were that. And then it just started happening. Do you guys think this is a control issue in us? Like in all this, because again, this is the Christian process that you guys are talking about. It's so beautiful. Is this a shift in, I'm in charge. And the Lord's like, well, actually, if you'll let go of that and let me do my thing in you, is that what we're dealing with? I, I definitely think that's part of it because, you know, we think of control as 
being just our will. Okay, I'm going to surrender my will to the Lord, which is obviously where it all begins, to let go of control there. But I think it is surrendering control of the conclusions that we make in our life. You know, like in Numbers 13, Moses sends out 12 spies. Uh, they, They break up into two groups of people, Joshua and Caleb, one group, the 10 spies, the other group. And, and the 10 spies said, you know, they, they, came, they came to a different conclusion on what they saw. They saw the same thing, a different conclusion. The 10 spies said, we're like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we are in theirs. And they were not willing to relinquish control of victim mindsets. And, you know, of those, of those kind of things. And yeah, it is a control because to let go, hope, hope is a scary thing because... You know, it, because there's at times a fear of being disappointed again. So there's a fear of hoping and to let go of that and actually to open ourselves up to hope is, is a huge step. And we felt like the Lord told us this. He, he said, Stephen, Wendy, there's two ways to live. You can live a hopeless life and never be disappointed. Or you can live a hope-filled life with occasional disappointment. Oh, what do you choose? Well, I think option two <laughs> sounds a little better. And I, we have compassion for people who, who have been disappointed and don't want to hope because we've been there. And I just say if you're, if you're in that situation now, just the, the, the anointing heals the brokenhearted. And I just even hear mm-hmm. healing and I see healing being released through this podcast to heal disappointment and that the Lord is releasing hope and the grace to hope again. Which is the power, the grace to hope. is It actually takes God's power to hope like you're talking about. He's even responsible for that, which I appreciate him. I think, though, a lot of times we have a misunderstanding of what hope is. You know, it's a confident expectation. Mm -hmm. It's not a, oh, I hope so. It's not a victim... I'm hoping for something that really can't happen. True hope comes from an inner sense. And the best way I can describe it is um, if you look at little children, I remember when our grandson was learning to walk his first year of life, all of a sudden it dawned on me how often he failed. Because the first year of life, it's just one big failure after another. You know, they try to grab things, they can't. They try to talk, they can't. They try to stand, they can't. It's a year of intense failure. And I remember asking God, why aren't they depressed? Because the average person, if they had that much failure in a year, would be totally depressed and disappointed because they kept trying to do something they couldn't do. And what God told me was, he said, the reason they're not depressed and disappointed is because they are so convinced that they can do what their parents do that failure doesn't move them. That is powerful. And that's what hope is. It's a such conviction that I am so convinced I can do what daddy God does that failure doesn't move me. I am so convinced that the word of God is true that failure and resistance doesn't move me. And so that's the goal and that we're not just a victim to hope that faith is going to come our way. We act and it's not some ooey, you know, supernatural thing. Faith is actually just becoming convinced that something's true. And we can actually do that through rehearsal, through declaration, through picturing the things, you know, the 
the testimonies of God, it actually builds something in your brain where your brain actually believes it's true. Which brings me to, you guys have mentioned a couple of times since you've been here this weekend, you touched on the imagination. Can you share mm-hmm. a little bit? I love this whole It's a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, I really believe that the imagination wasn't created so the enemy has a playground. Uh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> to be helpful, we just agreed up weird, front. Yes. This was yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, God just wouldn't do that. I, I believe he created... It's not like him at all. No, it's not. I think he created it for faith. Because faith isn't blind. Faith is visionary. And so in our imagination is where God begins to paint a picture of a future that involves him. It paints a picture of what it looks like to walk in power and strength. So we have to activate our imaginations to have faith. I read in a secular book once that when... When the will and the imagination are at odds, the imagination always wins. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is great. Yeah. And this, Good to know. This psychologist said that if you want to, like if you're addicted to smoking, you can use all the willpower you have and still not get free. Mainly because you can use your will, but if you can't imagine yourself free, you will never be free. Because if imagination was created for faith, it's the power behind what you do. So oh, before can you, you even say that one more time, if imagination if imagination was created for faith, it's the power behind what you do. Great. It helps convince you it's possible. Meaning imagination is just not for cartoonists. No. In the entertainment industry, yeah. this is like God, we are made in the image of God. Everything we see came from his imagination. That's right. Whoa. That's right. And something happens, you know, because your brain doesn't really know the difference between what's actually happened and what's it, it's just imagined. That's beautiful. And so, so yeah. And I really believe that the Bible was created to paint a picture so that our brain can imagine another reality besides the one we're living in. A reality where God and the angelic are at work with us. And, you know, so we have to actually use the Bible, imagine what that looks like so our brain doesn't think it's just a story, but it's a reality. Wow. So one time the Lord, I was meditating on imagination, and he said, hey, Rach, break that word down for me. I heard it clear as a bell, and I was like, imagination, 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 a nation mm. of images. And I just started ministering wow, to me about, I, I am governed, my whole person is governed by the images, how mm. I think this is, how I see this, how yes. I see this, how this, my whole life comes from this nation of images. That's right. That, that is the government of me. And then he's so beautiful. He spoke out of Isaiah, can a nation be saved mm. in the day? Oh my goodness. We're, we're, I hate to wrap this up. I feel like I could be in here with you guys for days, but I know you, you actually have a schedule outside of mine. <laughs> but how can we get hold of you guys? Because to say we scratch the surface is an understatement. You people are a wealth of help. You are so helpful and rich. So, so the listeners, how do they get hold yep. of the back ones? All right. We, our website is ignitinghope.com. 
We've got all kinds of resources on there. We've got declarations that you can download and speak over your life to get breakthrough. Uh, we have a podcast ourselves that we do that you can find Igniting Hope. We do a weekly podcast as well about a 10-minute uh, encouragement. I have a 60-second video hope injection that I do pretty much every day on Igniting Hope Instagram nice. and Igniting Hope Facebook. We have online events like a annual negativity fast, feasting on the spirit. Awesome. Uh, we have other things that we do. We've written between ourselves over 15 books. And so we have, Wendy just wrote a book that's probably just so powerful. It's called Victorious Emotions. It's a tremendous book. My latest book is The Culture of Empowerment. I've written wow. children's books. You know, let's just laugh at that for kids and things like that. And we send out a newsletter. If you want to go to our website, sign up for our newsletter. We, we just we do a lot of resources. We have a lot of content. Most of our books are on Kindle. And so, yeah, we just uh, we believe this, that there's no hopeless circumstances, only hopeless people. And once people get true hope, circumstances cannot stay the same. And anytime you find true hope, you're also going to find all joy and peace. So we know that the joy of the Lord also is going to come with the hope. And so we've got a passion for joy. And so, yeah, you can find us at ignitinghope.com. And Wendy's got her own website, uh, wendybacklin.com. And yeah, great. Steve and Wendy Backlin, we love you people. Thank you so much for Thank joining you. us on VA Chats. And you guys keep tuning in if you want to get smarter, better, more comfortable, and more godly. You can do it here. <laughs> we love you guys. Thanks. Thank you.